You're listening to the Sex and Psychology Podcast, the sex ed you never got in school and won't get anywhere else. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Some women experience an expulsion of fluid during sexual arousal or orgasm, and this is often known as squirting. We've known that this is something that can happen for a very long time. In fact, it is mentioned in very early versions of the Kama Sutra and writings that date back to ancient times. However, the nature of this fluid, what it's called, and where it originates in the body has been subject to a lot of debate. It's not a stretch to say that this is one of the most misunderstood aspects of human sexuality. So in today's episode, we're going to demystify it for you. Specifically, we're going to talk about the science of squirting by looking at results from what I believe is the very first nationally representative survey on the subject. We're going to discuss how squirting is different from female ejaculation, what we know about how and why it happens, how common it is to experience squirting, the surprising diversity in squirting experiences, and so much more. I am joined by Dr. Devin Hensel an associate professor of research at Indiana University School of Medicine, who has led several national and international sexual health studies. Devin has experience in studying sexuality across the lifespan, sexual pleasure, romantic and sexual relationships, as well as solo and partnered sexual behaviors. This is going to be an absolutely fascinating conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. Today's episode is all about squirting, and we're going to try and answer as many questions as we can on the subject. However, I'm sure that many of you will be hungry for even more information. So if you're looking to level up your knowledge on squirting, orgasms, and women's pleasure, check out Beducated, a revolutionary form of online sex education. They have an extensive library of courses that you can take in the comfort of your own home that can help bring more pleasure into your sex life. Two of their courses focus specifically on squirting, and they offer a wealth of information, including common myths and concerns, tips and tricks, and techniques to explore. Try all of Beducated's courses today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 60% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Laymiller, as the coupon code. There's also a 14-day money-back guarantee. Check the show notes for the link, and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. Hi, Devin, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here with you today. It is a pleasure to have you here. So I'm really looking forward to talking about this new paper that you published that reports results from a nationally representative sample of U.S. women aged 18 and older that looked at their experiences with what you called vaginal squirting. Now, there are so many aspects of the study that I want to ask you about because it's such an important paper on a very understudied and widely misunderstood topic. But as a starting point, let's begin with a definition. So when you say vaginal squirting, how did you define that for participants? What exactly are we talking about here? Yeah, and that's a great question. And some of that links into a lot of the misunderstanding of what squirting is versus what squirting isn't. So we asked participants very simply questions about, have you had experiences around a gush of liquid, a large volume of liquid, either during solo sex or during partnered sex? And that's probably the most uh, defining difference between vaginal squirting and what people also refer to as female ejaculation. 
prior to about a decade ago, those terms were used pretty much interchangeably with a little bit more emphasis on female ejaculation. And some really good science in the last 10 to 15 years has showed, although there are some similarities between ejaculation and squirting, there are some key differences, the volume of fluid being the primary one. So, When people emit or secrete a tiny amount of fluid in the single digits of milliliters, this is typically female ejaculation. When there's a big gush or sort of a dump of fluid, this is what we now know to be vaginal squirting. So that's how we asked people, framing it around a big gush of liquid during sexual activity. Thanks for sharing that. Now, one follow-up question to that I was recently at a conference where somebody asked me a question about squirting, and we got to talking about your study, and they had a question they wanted me to ask you, which is why you refer to it as vaginal squirting. Now, there's some debate in the literature about the exact source and nature of the fluid, but there was this widely publicized ultrasound study a few years back suggesting that the primary source of the fluid was likely to be the bladder and that it was being expelled through the urethra. And the person I spoke to thought that calling it vaginal squirting made it sound like the vagina itself was the source of the fluid. So I just wanted to ask for your take on this terminology question and what your sense is with regard to where this fluid comes from. Yeah, and that's actually an interesting question and one of the key differences we know between ejaculation and squirting. The ultrasound study is 100% correct. Squirting does originate in the bladder. And I think from a more genital topography, very clinically accurate standpoint, vaginal squirting from that perspective might be somewhat of a anatomical misnomer. But when we think about how people use language to both construct and understand sexuality, I think that's why a term like vaginal squirting is a little bit more accessible for people. So although the liquid may originate in a different body source and come out through the urethra, particularly when it occurs during sexual activity, people often think that it is coming from the vagina. So I still use that term and will continue to use that term, clarifying for people when it becomes necessary. That makes total sense to me. This is one of those topics where When it comes to everything related to sex, different people use different terms, have different language, and sometimes that can make it hard to make sense of the literature at different points when people are calling things one thing and somebody's calling it something different. Uh, It can make literature searches kind of treacherous in some cases because you can't always find what you're looking for when people aren't always using the same language. But I appreciate that clarification. It makes total sense to me. Now, in your paper, you talk about how there are a few different types of vaginal wetness that might be experienced during sexual stimulation beyond just vaginal lubrication. And squirting is one of them, but another is what's called female ejaculation, which you already mentioned. And that's where the prior literature gets very messy because squirting and ejaculation have often been treated interchangeably. They're not always clearly distinguished. So when you talk about female ejaculation, you said it's a smaller amount of fluid, but how else is it maybe different from squirting? And what do we know about where that fluid might come from? Yeah, that's actually a great question. So one of the other primary characteristic differences is the consistency. So female ejaculation in many ways is much more thick than squirting, right? So if you were to take a little bit of the emitted fluid in your hand, for example, and sort of play around with it, touch it, you would find that the 
female ejaculation is going to be much thicker, more akin to male ejaculate. Vaginal squirting, you'll find in comparison to female ejaculation, is much thinner. So it might look a little bit more like water or it might drip through your hand a little bit more easily than ejaculate would. And then the other characteristic that I always think of when I'm explaining the difference to people is also the color. So squirting fluid tends to look more clear and transparent, whereas female ejaculation tends to be a little bit more milky looking or a little bit more gray, pearl, opalescent. So for me, those are the three defining characteristics, the volume, the consistency, and the color. Yeah. And that's consistent with what I've read as well. And I think that's helpful for people to know that there are these different things you can look for, these different properties that might tell them whether they're experiencing one or the other. Okay, so let's dive into some of the key results from this paper. So first, what did you find with regard to the prevalence of squirting? So how many women have experienced this before? Yeah, so when we gave women that definition, particularly around the idea of experiencing at any point in their lifetime a gusha fluid, we found that roughly 40% or four in every 10 women had experienced squirting at some point in the past in their lifetime, usually in their mid-20s somewhere for the first time, although as with any nationally representative study that asks a lot of people the same question we saw, a very big range in people's retrospective or look back report about at what age they had first experienced squirting. And the the lifetime frequency, so sort of a follow-up question, once you ask people, have you ever experienced vaginal squirting in your lifetime? A logical follow-up question might be, well, okay, then how many times? So the the most common response was once, but we also had a number of people that reported two to three more times, three to five more times, or 11 more times. So, you know, for me, the importance of data like these is just simply documenting the variety of experiences, right? Because a lot of what we know about squirting is taken from TV and movies, particularly pornography, sometimes print media, and it constructs this very narrow model about what squirting is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to feel, and when it's supposed to happen. And the value add for a study like this, particularly for me as a sexual health scientist, is documenting that, no, actually, there's a lot of different things that happen. People do this and experience this in different ways. And sometimes people only have this happen once. Sometimes people have this happen with more regularity. I love that answer, and it makes total sense to me. And I want to come back to media portrayals of squirting in a little bit. But I wanted to ask you one question first, because given how common this seems to be as an experience and how much has been said and written about it in the media, why have we known so little about squirting until now? Is that a reflection of the fact that women's sexuality and female sexual pleasure has historically just been understudied? Is it because squirting itself is a taboo topic? What do you think? Why have we known so little about this until now? It's a little bit of both of what you mentioned. So to address sort of the the taboo associated with it first, For me, I think when we have sexual activities that occur, you know, as portrayed in this very narrow social model, particularly in a type of entertainment like pornography, because pornography has a taboo unto itself, right? The way that people think about the activities that happen 
in those taboo sexual spaces then can often carry that taboo connotation into mainstream sexual conversations and mainstream ways that people organize their own sexual repertoire, if you will. But additionally, to your point about sort of women's voices about pleasure and agency being still pretty erased from the scientific literature, I think squirting, based on the fact that it is so such an, a taboo activity under the umbrella of pornography, there's less scientific interest in investigating it. But nevertheless, it's still something that is a part of some, if not all, people's sexual lives, which makes it a really important thing to investigate and more importantly, to debunk the myths that are associated with it as portrayed in some of those spaces that we've talked about. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said there. And, you know, in thinking about the taboo here, I could be remembering this wrong, but I feel like there was some ban in the UK on pornography that featured squirting some, some time back, which I think speaks to the fact that, you know, this is a really taboo subject. I think another part of it is that there's been this longstanding debate about whether squirting the fluid that is released is urine or not. And I think that that adds to a lot of the taboo around it, the feelings of shame, right? And, and so, you know, I think it's kind of an unsettled question, but what would your answer be if somebody asked, is squirting pee or not? I would say absolutely not. The discussion about the biochemical makeup of squirting versus female ejaculate, there's, if you go to my paper, there's actually a really great couple of sources that really dive deeply into that. From this sort of biochemical perspective, squirting is not pee, although there are some elements, because it originates in the bladder, there are some elements that are contained within squirting, but there's so many other things in its composition, other things that make up what squirting is. You know, and I think the the idea that it's pee is an is certainly an oversimplification. Um, I think it's easier for people to say this is what this is because they want to explain it away, right? That's pretty on target for how the United States talks about sexuality. If it's uncomfortable, if it's unknown, we typically slap a negative label on it, pack it away and say, well, we don't need to study it. We don't need to understand it because it's this bad thing and we don't want to do it. Yet it still is something that happens during solo partnered sexual activity and it sits within a spectrum of things that people do. But I think labeling it as pee then allows people to say, oh, I don't want to be peed on or I don't want to pee on a partner. So this isn't ever possibly something I want to participate in or I should feel shameful about this happening because I'm not into those things. So this shouldn't be something that I want to participate in. I appreciate you sharing that. So let's talk a little bit about what women's experiences with squirting are like. So in the popular media and in porn, you often hear the term squirting orgasm. You know, that's frequently used, implying that squirting and orgasm always go together and necessarily implying that squirting is always pleasurable. However, you find that women's experiences with squirting are quite diverse. So tell us a bit more about that. That's one of the most satisfying findings for me, actually, out of this particular study, because, as you said, the stereotypical way that this is supposed to happen is that there's penile penetration, there's lots of screaming, lots of pleasure, there's a big squirt, and it occurs concurrently with orgasm. 
And so we asked our women participants, how often do you have an orgasm at the same time that you have a, that you squirt? And actually we found that only 20% of women said that they always have those two things happen together. It's far more common that women said it sometimes or often happens, right? And that for me is important to know because that reflects the reality of sexual life, right? Nothing isn't always, sexuality is so interesting and it's so diverse and it's so varied. And to be able to say to women, to their partners, anyone potentially interested in squirting, you might have an orgasm, but it's super common if you don't, right? And that gives people, importantly, gives people the space to be able to experience things and not feel like they failed at it or aren't good at it because they didn't have an orgasm. Or to take it a step further, to be able to participate in something that doesn't necessarily have to end an orgasm for it to be an enjoyable experience. Yeah, so there's a lot of diversity in experience here. It doesn't always go along with orgasm. And, you know, something else that I think is important to highlight here is that in the popular media, there's this plethora of how-to guides on squirting that are like, here is the tried and true way of doing it, you know, suggesting that there's just one pathway or one recipe for squirting. But you find that there's actually a lot of variability in the techniques that women use to experience this. So what are some of the various ways that women might build up to and release a squirt? Yeah. And to your point, the words that you just used there build up to and release, right? There are clearly a lot of different ways that people can approach sexuality, but even that piece of understanding that there are two potential pathways for this, right? How we sort of build ourselves up to it. And then how do we get the job done, right? So based on some existing literature, we asked women five different things. So how do you build up to this? Um, So some people use harder or more intense pressure. Some people use a prep or a warm-up. Some people, either themselves or their partners, apply more pressure inside the vaginal wall. Some people have reported they use clitoral stimulation alone. Um, And women also reported either by themselves or with partners using both at the same time, internal and external pressure to be able to build themselves up, to build their bodies up in preparation to squirt. And then in terms of release, we noted that there's a lot of different ways that women said that this happened for them. But interestingly, the most common thing that people said was it happens in a variety of ways. There's no one single way that this happens for me. Some of the other ways that women talked about this, releasing tight or clenched muscles, this is actually the second most common way. After I don't have a given way, releasing the tightness of muscles was the most common. Other ways women mentioned a burst of speed or pressure in terms of stimulation or penetration. Some women reported needing a consistency of movement and whatever that movement looks like to uh, release a squirt. Some women reported bearing down or tensing down as a means of sort of encouraging a squirting action. And some women reported simply the removal of a penis, fingers, or toys from the vagina after penetration was enough to help their body release squirting. 
So it sounds like an incredibly diverse experience in terms of how people get there and then also in terms of how it's experienced physically and psychologically. So sometimes it goes along with orgasm, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's pleasurable, sometimes it isn't. You know, So I think it just highlights how the media portrayals and pornography portrayals of this are very inaccurate and misleading. And, you know, speaking of those media articles, there are lots of them out there that suggest or argue that all women can squirt. And I think those articles, along with all of the other articles out there about here are all the various types of orgasms that women can experience, here are all the different hot spots or pleasure spots on a woman's body, I think sometimes they lead women to feel like there's something wrong with them because they're not able to replicate those exact experiences. So do you think that squirting is something that every woman is potentially capable of? And what's your advice to women who might be distressed because they're not experiencing orgasm and pleasure in the same way that other women are? That's a wonderful question. Thank you for asking that. And my response is, from a physiological perspective, we're still in our infancy of knowing sort of the anatomical differences between women in terms of how they experience squirting and when they experience squirting. So for me, the question is less what type of women can versus can't. I think that really sort of shrinks the the interesting way that we can talk about it. And to your point, then sort of reinforces the, is there something wrong with me if I am not able to do it? So I think this article really reflects the conversation we should be having, which is, do you want to do it? And if so, how are the ways that you and or with your partner are going to get there? And to what extent do you enjoy it when it happens? And to what extent do you want that enjoyment to be different? This article is certainly not the finality of this conversation, um, but I think what it does speak is that, you know, this looks differently for every single woman. A woman should never feel that she's somehow deficient or somehow has failed at sexuality because she wants to squirt but hasn't been able to so far. Or that, you know, squirting is looks, based on what we know socially, quote-unquote, looks to be like this amazingly explosive, orgasmic, and phenomenally pleasurable experience, and it's mediocre for her, right? Women need to embrace, and I hope this is what the study helps to do, is embrace that there are a lot of individual characteristics that make squirting, like other sexual practices, happen on a spectrum. And that, you know, my squirting experience today might be super different than my squirting experience next Thursday or with a different partner or following childbirth, following menopause. All of these different things impact who we are as sexual people. And so, you know, like any other sexual health scientist, I would say no woman should feel any less because her squirting experience doesn't match what she think that it should. I'd rather she really think about more specifically, what does this mean for me? Is this something I want to do? Is this something my partner wants to do? And how is it pleasurable for me? And if so, how can I keep this going? Do I want to keep this going? All kinds of things like that. Yeah, I love that answer so much. (laughs) I think that could be said about a lot of different things with regard to sexuality is that you're going to have variability in experiences. It's figuring out what works for you and your partner or partners and what you want. And yeah, it's a great answer on so many levels. Now, 
I want to throw you a little curveball here. So I wanted to ask whether you think squirting is unique to women or whether men might potentially be capable of it too. And the reason I asked this, and I'm going to overshare here for a moment, is because I had an experience recently that was akin to what I think squirting is. And so I've talked about this toy that I've tried on the podcast previously that provides penile vibratory stimulation, and it's just straight up vibration. And I never really got the appeal of vibration until I tried this. And I was able to have an orgasm just from vibration alone. And I found that if you just let it keep going, I could have more than one orgasm. And then I had this experience of after a couple of orgasms, I'm like, you know, how many can I have? Um, (laughs) I had this experience of, I don't know what's going to happen if I continue stimulation. Like it was almost this scary experience that was like the very first time I ever was on the brink of orgasm where I didn't know what was going to happen to my body if I continued stimulation. And so, you know, I I stepped back from the brink and then, you know, a day or two later, I went back and I tried it again with this toy. And there was this big expulsion of fluid after having a couple of orgasms. And I'm like, holy shit, did I just experience squirting? And so like, like the good scientist I am, you know, I like ran to my computer and I did a a Google Scholar search for male squirting. And I found like one or two case studies where people had described experiences that were similar to that. And it got me wondering, like specifically about my experience, like using a vibratory toy with intense stimulation for a prolonged period of time, you know, the urinary system and the reproductive system are intimately intertwined. And when you're stimulating one, you're kind of stimulating the other. And so if this is something that originates in the bladder, like maybe everybody can potentially experience it. And maybe it's tied to vibration in some ways. And women use more vibration when they masturbate with men. And so maybe that's why some women are more likely to experience it. So that was a long and rambling overshare. But I'm curious if you have any take on this question of whether Squirting is something that potentially anybody might be able to experience. I think it's a really great question, actually. And I can't speak necessarily to what's happening in male reproductive tracts, but because all of this is so underexplored in the literature, this particular topic, which is still in its infancy, I think it is important to understand, right? And it's an interesting idea to think that we might know a little bit more about women's squirting because... I think in some ways it's socially more acceptable for women to use vibrators, you know, or should I say vibrating items during sexual intercourse or solo sex. And interesting idea to think that it could be an element that might facilitate both the buildup and the release. And I think that'd be an important thing to know, you know, among people who had, who own penises as well. Yeah. So maybe a potential future research collaboration. (laughs) Look at squirting in the entire population. Now, we're running short of time. This has all been super fascinating and very, very informative. But I wanted to ask whether there's anything else you think people should know about squirting based on the work that you've done. And where does the research need to go in the future? You know, what are the big, like, unanswered questions that we still have? Oh, gosh, that's what isn't an unanswered question, right? I mean, to anon to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, an important take-home point for me is that any experience is valid in terms of squirting. So whether you've squirted before and haven't again, whether you want to squirt and haven't been able to, whether you've had a mediocre experience with squirting or you've had a super amazing experience with squirting, all of these things sit on the spectrum of 
human sexual experience. And it, one of the reasons we did the study so that people could see themselves amongst all of this variability, right? It's important for people to understand that they are normal and that what they're doing and what they want is as valid as other people's experiences. And so for the the what's next, I think it's important then to sort of understand what does this look like over time for people? This was simply a cross-sectional snapshot and we asked people about things that had happened in the past. One of the things that I'm interested as a scientist is, okay, for those people that have had multiple occasions on which they have squirted, is there any commonality between those experiences? For people that really find squirting pleasurable, what are the things that make those events really great? And can we then capture that info to share it with other people? So the non-enjoyers who squirt could maybe amp up their pleasure a little bit. And I think the another important take-home point for me is that we also asked people, what are some of the challenges or some of the concerns that you have associated with this? And we, we touched on one of those a little bit earlier is that, you know, people, the number one thing that women reported, they were scared it was pee, right? And that, that totally hooks into some of that taboo about urine during sexual activity. But there's also real world concerns about mess. And does this mean I'm losing control? Will my partner like it? And oh God, this is happening. What is this? Is there something wrong with me? Right? So part of the the next step is also integrating conversations about squirting into sexual health and sexual education programming the same way that we've integrated conversations about solo sex and pleasure and different types of partnered sex. Because again, squirting takes up a place in the human sexual experience just as these other types of experiences do. Yeah, still so, so much to learn and can't wait for the future results to come out so that we can have that knowledge. Perfect. Thank you. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Devin. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work or maybe read more about some of this research we've been discussing? Absolutely. If you search for my name in Indiana University School of Medicine, you will uh, come across my faculty page where I have listed a number of the studies that I've recently done in sexual health, including the one we've talked about today. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. And I will be sure to include a link to it in the show notes. Thank you so much again for being here, and thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm most active on Instagram, at Justin J. Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs>